You know, we've been getting into a, uh, the new series, and I'm excited about being here today and uh, able to be part of this series and share with you what, uh, a very well-known story. But before I go into it, uh, not too long ago, I was uh, gathered with our family in, uh, in Orange County, uh, meaning my siblings, at mom's house. Mom passed away uh, about four years ago, and, but we still like to go and gather at her house and remember about things that, from our childhood and remember some of the funny stories that happened between the family, just like everybody else. And I have two, two sisters. I'm the oldest of seven siblings, and uh, we get together, and, and one day I was talking about, uh, in the conversation with my sister Irma and one of my sisters, my sister Rosie, we were talking about uh, ancient Mesopotamia and Assyria and uh, the old history and geography of those places uh, that I was interested in because I ran into something in the Bible and I wanted to make sure that that so I did a little little research on on Samaria and uh, and ancient Mesopotamia because I ran into a word in the Bible in Genesis chapter six verse four that really captured my attention and set me back into doing some research and consulting Bible uh, Bible commentaries and you name it going online and finding out stuff but I'm not going to go into that right now but the thing is that. My sister Irma remembered, Johnny, uh, she said, you always, when, you were, when we were kids, see, my sister Irma is two years younger than me, and so uh, she said, I remember when we were kids, you know, when she was in fourth grade, I was in sixth grade, and, and so that was our schooling years when we were kids. And we had some of, some of the times we had the same teachers. So if I went to second grade and my sister came behind me, she had the same teacher. And at that time, we didn't have too many resources in schools. And uh, the blackboard was, yes, a blackboard. And shock was usually white. But we were, we were lucky. We got different colors of shock. <laughs> but uh, somehow, because of my homework and stuff like that, the teachers found out that I was good in drawing and drawing maps. And so uh, when we got into ancient Mesopotamia and, and uh, the Sumerian uh, uh, stuff, I drew the maps. And I drew maps of Africa and Europe. And so I was good at it. I, uh, and I liked it. That was the thing. So uh, because one of my main uh, uh, studies were, and, and the ones that I liked the most, the classes were history in geography, and, and then, then came uh, science. Math was not my thing. Hated math. Still do. <laughs> but uh, geography, and especially when, and history, especially when we talked about ancient civilizations, they caught my attention. I often thought, man, I should have been an archaeologist. But what would I be exploring? But I also got into the uh, Mesoamerican history and geography simply because I like that kind of stuff. And so I say this because today, as we go into those special 
and unique places in God's story, we're going to be covering one of, one of the stories that uh, basically we hear as a Sunday school class. It was a, a story for Sunday school. But nevertheless, as I dug into it, I found out that there's so many interesting, interesting things about it that, uh, that I'm happy that I was able to do this, this, uh, this time with my turn to preach. So before I get into it, let us pray. <coughs> Father, uh, we are so grateful to be able to be here in your house, Lord God, today. I thank you for everyone that is here and everyone that is watching through the, uh, the podcast. But above all things, Lord God, I thank you for your presence here in this place. And Father, and as we gather here, I pray that your spirit will move within us. That you speak to us through your word. And that you bring conviction to our hearts, Lord God. And also an understanding of what you are saying to us today. So in the name of Jesus, Lord God, I pray that you bless us. And you guide us. And that you speak to us through your word. In the name of Jesus. And everyone says, Amen. So I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles with me in the 11th chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 11. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. And I mentioned before that the scripture today will take us to one of those important places in God's story. So... Today, as you know, these first nine verses of the 11th chapter of Genesis speak about the Tower of Babel, the construction of the Tower of Babel and the city of Babylonia. Verse 1 begins by saying, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. One language and a common speech. As people move eastward, verse 2, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Let me make a brief pause right here. Geographically speaking, the land of Shinar was a place, the area in the world where it's now known as Iraq. In ancient times, it was known as Mesopotamia. And it was where two of the ancient civilizations or empires were settled, the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian they established themselves there. So we see that the first two verses talk about where the people were going after the flood. 
We begin to read the story about the flood in the chapter 7 and chapter 8 and 9 is the final things about uh, the flood. And so the people started moving eastward. And they found this plain, this valley, Shinar. And they decided to settle there. They decided to establish themselves there. For some reason, they liked it. And they decided to, to build a city. But not only that, as we read on, they decided to build a tower. In verse 3, it says, And they said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered, scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, this happened I mean, the flood had just taken place recently. It was not too long ago that they had the flood. Now, we all know about the flood. It was a cataclysm. It destroyed the whole world. Everything was underwater. Now, to me... It is a very, very significant uh, thing that I would not easily forget. In fact, there has been so many hundreds and thousands of years since that took place, and still today, we remember about the flood. And if you go to different parts of the world and different countries and different civilizations, they all mention a flood that took place. Everyone knows different civilizations, not only Europe and the Middle East, and, but, but in America, Mesoamerica, here, everybody talks about the big flood. It was a world catastrophe. It destroyed civilization. There was only some survivors that God wanted to save. And we all know the story about Noah. So it seems to me that they should, they should have remembered. It was such an impacting thing that it, have, uh, and it affected them so deeply that they had to start again everything. And so now... It's, it's only been about 100 years since that had happened, according to some of the, the studies and the scholars, what they, what they say about it. There was only 
Some decades ago that the flood had gone, I mean happened, that the flood took place, and yet their attitude and the, the character once again is evident. The people began after the flood they went back to being arrogant rebellious and they defied God why do I say this well I, we find it in scripture first of all they wanted to build a city and build a tower to reach the heavens. And the reason why they wanted to do this is because they wanted to make a name for themselves. Now, we all know that, and, and, I, and I don't think that there's anything bad with trying to do progress. Technology is good. But when it goes against God's purpose and God's plan, then that's no good. And that is precisely what they wanted to do. By building a city and building the tower, they're demonstrating the fact that they wanted to exalt themselves and also they wanted their independence from God. The Bible clearly says in Matthew 23, 12, those who exalt themselves will be what? Humble. And those who humble themselves will be what? Exalted. So, to me, it is surprising that so soon after the flood, they wanted to do this. They wanted to go their own way. They wanted to do their own thing. God had given them specific instructions, uh, but nevertheless, they wanted to do what they wanted. Going back a couple of chapters, in chapter 9, beginning with verse 1, God had given them instructions, and read it with me, please. Genesis 9, verse 1. It said, Then God blessed Noah, this is after the flood, God is making a covenant with Noah and with his children. And he says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in numbers and fill the earth. Isn't that right? That's what he's giving them. That's what he's telling them. Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Fill the earth. Go to different places of the earth. But yet, what we find here in the first verses, and as we continue on in chapter 11, we see that they don't want to do that. They want to stay there. They want to build a city there, in Shinar. And obviously, they don't, they're not thinking about going anywhere else. By reading on in verse... Uh, 
Let's continue on verse 4. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Verse 5. Listen to this. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do would be impossible for them. They were speaking the same language, so there was understanding among them, and they they developed a plan, and they wanted to carry on this plan. Although God had all the plans for them. God wanted to take them where he wanted them to go, not where they wanted to establish themselves. Does that sound funny? Does that sound familiar? Not funny, but familiar? Sometimes we want to do what we want, right? Hello? Sometimes we want to do what we want. We're going to get what we want. And we don't even consider about God's plan or which way God wants us to go. And I say this, I say this with a lot of respect, but at the same time because of experience. When I was, I was called to ministry years ago, I had a real honorable and responsible position at UCLA, at the School of Dentistry. My wife had a good, respectable position, and I, we were both there. <coughs> and the Lord called me into ministry. I was a Christian. I thought I was doing fine. I was witnessing all over the school. We started a Bible study group among medical and dental students. And everything was going fine, but God called me to go deeper. How many have been called to go deeper at one time or another in your lives? To go deeper, to do something more, something that perhaps you don't want to do. So we had settled, we were settled on, and we lived in the San Fernando Valley. We used to commute. We had a home in in, uh, um in Arlita, right next to Van Nuys, we had a nice home, nice neighborhood, swimming pool, everything, nice cars. We traveled and commuted between Arlita and UCLA on a daily basis. And at one time, we were thinking about moving to Westwood in Beverly Hills. Man, we were invited to parties in, in Beverly Hills all the time, Pacific Palisades, West LA, Westwood, and all of those areas, we were always there. But God called me into ministry. And oh, I, I had to make a choice. But I was dragging my feet about it, and my wife didn't want to do that. And she said, no, God called you into ministry. He has, she, he has to let me know. Because you're not one. You're not a single man. You are my husband, and I didn't marry a pastor. So I said, Lord, you heard the woman that you gave me? <laughs> I said, you speaking to me, you got to talk to her first. (laughs) So, 
It took a while, but, but I answered the call. And I went to an unknown territory, and he took steps of faith, folks. The Lord took me out of where I was, the environment, the comfort of where I was at, and probably a really bright financial future into something different. I didn't know where I was going, but then too I remember that Abraham never knew where he was going when God called him. And Abraham, Abraham had to step out in faith and go to a place where God was going to show him. He didn't show him yet. And so oftentimes we ourselves we find a place where we feel comfortable, where we feel blessed, where we, we think that this is it, I'm going to stay here because I want to, because I like it, because I'm comfortable here, and we don't want to move from there. And so I'm, I don't criticize the people for wanting to establish themselves and build a city, it's only, we can say, well, they're advancing in technology, they're advancing, they're progressing as a civilization once again. But that's not what God had planned for them. That's not what God wanted them to do. He wanted them to go and replenish the earth. But yet, they said, no, we're going to settle here. We're going to build a city and we're going to build a tower that reaches the heavens. See, the idea of the ancient people of those days, they believed that worship should have taken place in a high place, like in a hill or a mountain. And since in the valley of Shinar, on the plain of Shinar, there was no such thing. There was no mountains, no hills. They decided themselves to build a tower. Most of the scholars would think that it was like a cigarette. It's a, it's a step pyramid. And so... They wanted to either, for God to come down and worship with them up there, or they wanted also for them to exalt themselves and say, we've built this. We own this. This is our thing. And so, was God going to bless that? No. As we read in verse uh, number five on down, it says, But the Lord came down to see the city. I mean, I know that God knew what they were doing already. But for some reason, the writers put it this way. So God came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, as if one has, uh, if has one 
people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this. Nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, verse 7, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. Uh, makes a lot of sense, huh? Speaking the same language, they can help each other, work together, network together, whatever. But not speaking the same language, it became an impossible task. Hey, hand me another brick. Hey, bring me more mortar. Hey, bring the spatula, whatever tools they use. They couldn't communicate anymore. We need more bricks. They couldn't communicate anymore. So they have to stop construction. God knows what he's doing, right? Can you say God knows what he's doing? Amen. God knows what he's doing all the time. He knew how to stop them. He didn't have to send lightning, a tornado, or anything like that. He just stopped them in his own very wise way. He stopped them right there. And, uh, of course... He stopped them by confusing their language. And so what he planted for them was what took place after that. He scattered them all over the world. It's, uh, I find this very interesting that the people will, first of all, rebel against God or, or start thinking about their own thing and wanting to do their own thing when, when the flood, I mean, and, and probably you can reason this too. The flood was so recent, and yet they got all these great ideas for themselves. Now, I'm going I'm to point out six things in regards to the Tower of Babel that, uh, that I think they're very interesting. So six interesting facts about the Tower of Babel that I would like to, at this time, mention. It begins with number one. The Tower of Babel was a, man, uh, was a monument to salvation by works. In fact, the Bible declares in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and through 9, Something that we already know and we all know and we read it so many times. And he says, for by grace you are saved through faith. By what? By grace. You are saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. There. Bam. The whole thing right there. So what they wanted to do by building the tower, they wanted to be saved from another flood by their own works. What was the only means of salvation for Noah? What was the means of salvation for him? To build the ark, right? God gave him specific instructions to build an ark. 
And in that ark, they were going to be saved. So that was a God thing. That was God's plan to save Noah and his family. But now man is designing his own plan of salvation. They want to build, and they started building this tower to save themselves in case, see, they, they fail also to acknowledge the fact that God had promised that he would never destroy the world with another flood. Didn't God say that after that? The rainbow was what? A symbol of that, right? A sign that God will never destroy the world again by a flood. But see, they are distrusting God. They are trying to do their own thing, salvation. So the tower is a monument to salvation by works, number one. Number two, the tower was a monument to human pride. What is pride? Pride is good sometimes to a certain amount. But when you say she's too proud, he's too proud, I am too proud. I am too proud, for example, I'm too proud to ask for directions. Then that is bad. <laughs> right? Pride could be good. But pride can be also bad. We can say, we are proud people. And we can take it the wrong way. There's no one like me. I'm prideful. And uh, so the Tower of Babel is also a uh, monument to human pride. This is what we did. This is our thing. This is our means of salvation. We built this with our own hands. We didn't ask God for help. We did it our way. One of the things that, you know, how many of you like Frank Sinatra? Like to, I think it's a great singer. I love most of his tunes. But I don't really like the wording of, I did it my way. Although he did it his way, right? But to me, it seems like I did it my way. I don't know where he is now, but he did it his way. And sometimes when we do it our way, it's not the best thing, folks. Not the best thing. So, the tower was also a monument, a monument of man's, mankind's disobedience and defiance of God's will. Why? Well, immediately after the flood, 
Like, a, like we read in Genesis 9.1, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. So, if they were obedient, if they were going to be obedient, they would have gone out, as God said, replenish the earth. But they just want to stay there. So, to me, the Tower of Babel was like a monument to mankind and of disobedience and defiance of God's will. I often happen, what would happen if I didn't obey the call of God? Where would I be? And I'm talking about not a call unto salvation, but a call unto service. Where would I be? Secondly, I think about a call unto salvation. Why, where would I be had I not come to Christ when I did? Some of you were very blessed because you were born in Christian homes with Christian parents that took you to Sunday school and you learned the Bible when you were young. No, I, 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 and I, that, that, that didn't happen to me. I had religion. But I did not have a personal relationship with God because only through Jesus Christ as our Savior can we have a personal relationship with God. In other words, I was not saved. Where would I be if I had stayed in that situation? On my own, without Christ. Where would I be? I assure you I wouldn't be here. I'm not mean preaching this morning here, but I wouldn't be here, period. I would have been lost. But God in his infinite mercy saved me, and I obeyed when he called me unto salvation. And I came to him, and I acknowledged the fact that I was a sinner, I was lost, and destined to condemnation until I acknowledged the fact that I was lost and needed Jesus as my Savior. And once I repented from my sin, I asked him to come into my life and my heart and become my Lord and my Savior. And my life has never been the same. We need Jesus, folks. I was not blessed to be born in a Christian home and receive uh, Christian education as a child. I had to learn it as a man already. But I praise God for that because I appreciate what the Lord did in my life so much. Where he took me from and what he has done with me. And the fact that I am here today because of God's mercy, God's power, and, 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 and I am. I'm testifying of his power. The resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. Anyways, going back to this point. So the tower was a monument to men's, mankind, disobedience, and defiance of God's will. And number four, it was also a monument to human achievement. 
They sought to direct people's attention away from God's creation to the works of men. That's what they wanted. They, they wanted to, to show what they were capable of doing. Number five, it was a monument to disbelief in God and his word. Because rather than trusting God, rather than trusting God's promises and God's blessing or protection, they decided to trust in Nimrod. They decided to trust in the city and they decided to trust in this tower rather than trust in God. So I believe that in, in a sense it was a monument to disbelief in God and his word. How many believe in God's word and trust in God's word? Trust in his promises. How many? Do you tell that to the people around you? We, we had the good news, right? That's what the gospel is called good news. You know, I just had an opportunity during between New Year's and Christmas uh, to do a funeral uh, for somebody in San Diego. And I went over there, and I received specific instructions to speak the word. Now I said, are you sure you want me to do this? They said, yes, please do it. And I said, I will. No holding back, no holding back. Okay. So the chapel was packed. I don't know, maybe 200 people. And, uh, and I was, I opened up with uh, uh, the Gospel of John. In chapter 11, where Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, and when he arrived and, and he was dead, and one of his sisters said, he's dead, and he's been dead for four days now. If you had been here, you wouldn't have been dead. But I made emphasis on what he said. I am the resurrection and the life. He that is dead. What? Even though he's dead, he what? Shall live. And so, I started speaking about that fact and the need for salvation, the need for repentance while we are alive. Then I pointed out and I said, he's here. But praise be to God, that three months before I had been called and I went over there, he was in the hospital and I led him to Christ. So I knew that he was saved. Hello? Do you hear what I'm saying? The man was saved. His body was there, but his spirit was long gone. He went to be with the Lord. And so I, I, I shared that with them so that they could understand it clearly. 
And so I was amazed to see how many people came forward after to thank me for speaking the truth and sharing what they did not know. And they say, honestly, we had religion, but we never read that before and we never paid attention to it. Many people. See, we take it for granted oftentimes. Oh, yeah, we're saved. How's the game going? Uh, we take all the things more important. By the way, there's a game going on right now. And there's going to be another one this afternoon. And I know I'm going to miss them both. But that's okay. There's other things that are far more important. And when it comes down to, to God's word, God promises, I want to share them as they are. I don't want to hold back. If you have not made a commitment to Christ, I want you to know right now, if you have not acknowledged the fact that you're a sinner, you're lost, and you don't acknowledge the fact that you need a Savior, then you're lost, my friend. I'm sorry, but you're lost. You need to acknowledge the fact that we are all sinners, have sinned, and because of our sin, we are lost and need a Savior. We need to repent from our sin and come to Christ. Then our names will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and we are saved. Hello. How many are saved here today? You are very quiet this morning. I'm kind of afraid. So am I preaching to the right crowd? How many can say Jesus? Jesus. Wow, three people say Jesus. How many can say Jesus is my Lord? He's my Savior. He's my Redeemer. He's my Healer. He's my Guide. My Protector. My Provider. My everything. Amen. Because Jesus is God. And so I'm, I'm not afraid to speak. Sometimes some people will say, oh, but please don't say this and don't say that. And, and you know what? I don't want to hold back anymore. I want to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. And uh, what I see is that these people, you know, they, they were saved. They were spared. God gave them an opportunity once again. And they, he gave them a specific instruction to go through the whole world and, and, and replenish the earth. And, and of course, you know, I, when I see these stories here, I see the, the tales of the stories of two cities. One is the city of Babylon that is distracting mankind, directing mankind in the opposite direction of where God wants. The other is the city of the New Jerusalem. The city that prepare. The city that the Lord has for us. And that is in mind what God has for us. And these people were so rebellious and were thinking about themselves, their own way of saving themselves, that they build the towers in a city so that they can be saved. But God had all the plans. God had a better, much better, more powerful, more sure way of salvation. And that was the new Jerusalem. That is promised to us. Hello, folks. So, but these people had other ways of, of, of seeing things. They wanted to do it their own way. 
They wanted to build their own tower, their own city, and feel secure there. Number six, the Tower of Babel was a monument to heaven and earth. And the thing is that time and time again, men have sought to create a kingdom on earth that does away with what God had in mind for us. Men want to create a place where he can be saved and not to turn away from their sin, from the sinful life, from the sinful lifestyle. But in Revelation chapter 21, verse 2, we see something that God has prepared for us that is far greater than anything that man can ever build. And you know, I'm not against technology. I'm not against the advancement of the arts and architecture and all of that. But at the same time, God has something better for us. Something that happened in 9-11 was the destruction of the two symbols, great symbols, economic and of power that were destroyed during 9-11. That was terrible. But what God has for us is permanent, is eternal, and can never be destroyed. In, in chapter 21 of the book of Revelations in verse 2, listen to this. And this is what, we, what I look forward to. It says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heavens from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. You see, the author of Revelation is seeing the new Jerusalem coming from heaven. And when we look into the description of this city in previous chapters, we see, oh, what an amazing place. Precious stones, emeralds, gold, silver. Not for a richness, but place where we're going to be dwelling. We're going to be living there. That's the city that God has in mind for us. Not Babylon and not the Tower of Babel, but the New Jerusalem. And so man, mankind has demonstrated all of these things. His own desire to be superior, to be exalted. His own desire to do the things his way selfishly thinking about himself and not giving honor and praise and glory to whom glory and praise is due. And that's the Lord. That's God. That's our Savior. That's our God. That's who we serve. And so, folks, I want to I wanna close with this today. Through the Bible, we find the tale of two cities. One at the beginning and one at the end. 
What happens in between is either men's blessings or the consequences of their disobedience to God. But God has a better promise for all of us. God has prepared a place. And Jesus clearly spoke to his disciples and said, it is, I must leave you. And if I leave, I go to prepare a place for where I am, there you should also be. In my father's house, there's many mansions. If it was not so, I would have told you so. But I go to prepare a place for you. And so, with that in mind, you know, I can live in peace. I can live with the tranquility that when I go, I know where I'm going. I'm sure of that. And then one day, I'm going to be a resident of the New, the New Jerusalem, just like you. But see, what happens to the people here on earth that don't know Christ, that don't have Jesus, that haven't surrendered their life to Christ, to Christ? They are going to be destroyed. There's no hope. They need Christ. And so I know that the pastor Scott has been really, really uh, concerned and really has emphasized in telling us to share Jesus, to share our faith. Are we doing it? Have you gone out of your way to share Christ with someone this week? Last week, are you planning on sharing Christ with someone? Or do you think that they don't deserve it? I didn't deserve it. Some of you didn't deserve it. I don't think anybody deserves it. But nevertheless, God is in infinite mercy reached down and picked us up wherever we were, cleaned us up, washed us with his blood, and gave us the promise of new life. He gave us the promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus. We know that, don't we, folks? Do we know that? Are we sharing that? No. Oops. That's, that's our job. You know, Pastor Scott can be here and preach and share the word, but he cannot take us by the hand to do the work that God calls us to do. You and I have connections. You and I talk to people on a daily basis. So we had to take and introduce them to Christ. Amen? Amen. Are we going to do that? <laughs> Are we going to do that, folks? Yes. Amen. And you might say, you know, I'm too old, I'm too young, or I'm too sick. God will put people in front of you so that you can share. God will bring you the people 
All you have to do is just share Christ with them. Let us, let us pray. Lord God, thank you for the great, wonderful, and amazing things that you have done for us, Lord God. Thank you for taking us out of the darkness and bringing us into your light. Thank you for making us your children, making that possible through Jesus Christ. But Father, today I pray that we will really meditate in what you want us to do. I pray, Lord God, that you give us a conviction of what you really want us to do and accomplish. Lord, you said go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of every nation. And we don't have to go to Europe, we don't have to go anyplace else, but we can start right here. Right here, right now, Lord God, going out in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our schools, in our job site, wherever we are, Lord God. Help us, give us the courage and may your Holy Spirit deal with each and every one of us, Lord God, to do so. Because it is not until then that we will fulfill in the mission or the Great Commission to go out into the whole world and preach the gospel. Father, help us. I pray for an anointing touch of your Holy Spirit. A renewed heart, Lord God. The new spirit in us, Lord God. So that we can see and seize the opportunity that present to us, Lord God. That the doors that you open for us to share your word, for, our, for us to share the love that you have for us, Lord God. For us to share your mercy. Lord, help us. Give us that courage. In the name of Jesus, Lord. Amen.